Boardman gets pot. Oh yeah. Max, what's up, my man? Dr. Bot, can I just play a tune for you really quick? Since it's been so long since we've done this. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was just like, you know. Not a lot's gone down since we left, except Man, a lot has gone down since we left. Though. <laughs> just, and uh, I'm now uh, my I'm now a father and a homeowner. So your it's father, been a- you're a homeowner. Russia went to war with Ukraine. Shit's kind of hitting the fan all over the place. It's like a different world than January. But we just got to do. Let's let's talk about what's on the tip of everyone's tongue right now. We'll talk about Elon Musk. Oh yeah, evolving Twitter saga. Was this what was the thing where we were? I texted you. I'm like, we need an instant reaction pod right now. What was that about this, or was it about something else? No, I think it was about this. But this all started when so it started like last week, right? And yeah, he started so thought, to buy Twitter. He said he just he like announced that he was buying nine percent of Twitter, right? And everyone was pretty stoked. And then there were some people that were like, oh well, he didn't he didn't file what the SEC form seventy two section A, and like you know. I don't, what kind of nerd loser takes the SEC's side on these things? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, they're also like, I mean, the same people go, you know what? I think America was wrong to rebel against the British Empire. <laughs> that was a mistake. We should have. What we need is a good, strong government. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, now I, I think so. In some ways, I think it actually goes because he started buying in January. Yeah. So he's been steadily buying in the market because someone like you can't just buy. I mean, I don't know much how like uh, how much stock is available, but it's called the float. Yeah. But to acquire nine percent, I mean, I don't know how much is being actively traded, but that's I'm sure a sizable amount of the quote unquote float. So he couldn't do it all at once. Right? I should have known something funny was going on, Max, because um, I have Twitter in, in my portfolio, and it was like the only thing that wasn't going down. And I'm like, well, this is cool. Like, I'm losing a ton of money left and right, but for some reason, like. My, my Twitter is like doing pretty well all of a sudden. And I just thought maybe everyone's finally catching on. And then it kind of made sense that Elon Musk was silently acquiring a bunch of Twitter. Yeah. So if he started buying, I think it was January 24th is when he started announcing he was buying. Like the heart the its lowest or its biggest drawdown was it only went down like $2 out of 35, which with the current market conditions, I mean, that is with you know the ukraine you know uh the russia war happening or there was a big war scare and now there's all the inflation concerns and yet it was kind of basically held steady so yeah he was basically just taking all the those twitter shares that anyone was selling i mean you were selling the elon musk basically yeah. if you sold twitter in the last two months you sold it to him and so uh, now and so then then he decided that he was going to sit on the board right yeah, so I think it was when he disclosed his 9% stake, they offered him a board seat. But really, it was like a, it was basically like a, a, a gilded muzzle, you know? Because mm-hmm. once he's on the board, there's all kinds, I think there's a lot of 
you know, strings attached, but the key string was like, you can't own more than 15% of the company. Right. And so he kind of like played nice said, Oh, this is cool. But then, yeah, it was something last week. He's like, he with, or a couple days ago, I don't know. He, he withdrew, he decided I do not want to be on the board. And many people on Twitter was like, all right, he's just going for the whole thing (laughs) on Twitter, discussing Twitter said he's probably going for the whole thing. And yeah, you you know, yeah, it was like a day or two ago. He announced his my favorite, my favorite bit was when he was going at the, the what is it, the Saudi royal family or some oh, royal, yeah. some Arab oil person who owns a lot of Twitter, and they were like, "We will not let Elon Musk buy Twitter," something. And then he like was kind of just asking them how much of it they own. Uh, I was an interesting back and forth. I mean, I just think it's great that Jeff Bezos goes and buys the Washington Post, and Elon Musk in like an ultimate dick swinging move is like, "I'm gonna buy Twitter." <laughs> There, there are so many amazing angles to this story that are really uh, enjoyable. And like, I mean, look, this is going to be, they're going to, this is going to be a book. This will probably be an Apple TV and Hulu and Netflix documentary. They're all going to do their either documentary or fictionalized representation of it. I don't know who oh. plays Elon Musk. It, Dude, they just have... tell you. In like, in, in like 20 years, there's definitely going to be a movie called Musk. Just like there's a movie called Jobs, like that will 100% be happening, you know? Yeah, dude. I mean, well, anyway, so, um, but yeah, he basically, yeah, there was a lot there. Uh, but yeah, he basically made this official offer. And then as of this morning, the board basically, I don't fully get it, but they basically put in a poison pill. It's going to make it incredibly hard for, I mean, basically impossible for him to actually acquire enough shares on the open market to get a 51% stake, or it's going to make it very difficult, but it's actually going to be at, at the shareholder expense, right? Like it's actually going to be it's bad. If you're a Twitter shareholder, it's probably going to be bad. Wait, explain. I don't know how the, this poison pill is going to I don't, you know, I don't fully, I haven't had a chance to do my research, but there's something where basically they're going to give a lot of preferential stock or weighted stock to like existing shareholders or insiders, things like that. Mm. Something, some, some share gimmicks. But the, the thing is like the reason why it's called a poison pill is that like it's bad for the current shareholders, right? It's going to oh. actually nuke their value, right? And so really what this is, is a delaying tactic. And I think what they're doing is because I think now, now, okay. So like, basically they're saying the reason, they're, 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 as far as I can tell, the official reasoning is we think $54 and 20 cents understates the value of Twitter. So yeah. we are now going to nuke the value of Twitter. Like that's kind of the official line of the existing shareholders right now, you know, <laughs> or the board of directors. Right. Uh, which is a very interesting question is like, with the question of like, wait, so if they're, this is as good a deal as you're going to get. And it's a clear upfront deal. Why don't you take it? This is a good financial deal. Like no I, one's arguing. I mean, it's- I don't think it's about the finances, man. I think with these exactly. guys, they don't give a shit. They, it's about money for that. It's about power. And like having control right. of Twitter makes you an extremely powerful person. Right. And so, or be, so you, you mentioned that example of the Saudis, right? Well, yeah. the Saudis, there's a, there's a convicted case of corporate espionage where the Saudi Royal family had two people planted in Twitter from like 2013 to 2015. Wait, really? Right? Yeah. No, you can Google this. Uh, uh, do? You can look it up. Yeah. Do like Saudi Twitter espionage, something like that. Maybe it's been, yeah. There's former Twitter employees charged with spy- spying for Saudi Arabia. Like it's the first article in New York times. Right. And is it so, so good for that before they bought it or what? No, this is, a, this is in 2013, 2015. So I don't know if this is actually before or after the guy accumulated his stake, but uh, like, look, I think so Twitter. So one of the interesting things, so one, one interesting thing about Twitter that people always observed is that it's importance and cultural significance, importance to like 
are the Western information diet, and really like in many ways, the global information diet is much higher than its stock price, right? Oh, like yeah. this thing is, this thing's worth less than Coinbase, you know? But in terms of like societal relevance and like how much a society kind of quote unquote runs on Twitter versus Coinbase, I think Twitter is definitely preponderant. And I say this as a proud Coinbase shareholder who's, you know, been bleeding out horribly. <laughs> so I shouldn't, be, I shouldn't think be hyping up Coinbase, but no, it's really, so this is one of those things where it's just, it has enormous cultural resonance, enormous cultural power, and the, but the financial power isn't there. And so, you know, it's that's, if anything, that is a, in some ways, that is a, a huge weakness, right? Because you have some guy like Elon Musk who basically decided to YOLO and buy a tenth of the company. But in some ways we're lucky it was Elon, right? Because at least, I mean, well, depending on your ass, there's plenty of people who think this is a travesty, right? But there's a lot of dudes out there who could raise three to $4 billion in liquid capital yeah. and could acquire stakes in Twitter that, you know, even if you think Elon's bad, there's definitely, he's definitely not the worst human on earth that has that kind of money. For example, yeah, like, there's really nothing to it. I don't know what could have stopped the Saudis from. Apparently, their stake is five. Well, uh, you know, I've heard the richest man on earth is Vladimir Putin. And imagine if he bought Twitter. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there was like now with all this Russia stuff, it's come out that, you know, a lot of these Russian oligarchs were using some kind of, you know, some New York, some like front companies in New York to like, well, basically launder their wealth into like a lot of mm-hmm. tech companies, things like that. So, yeah, like it wouldn't have been hard for the Russian oligarchs to t- quietly take a 10% stake in this. For all we know, they might indirectly through some of these other organizations. Like if you, you know, so it, that's just kind of like, in some ways it's always been this kind of like weakness in the American system where it's actually very easy to capture this thing. And the thing is, if you go inside Twitter, Twitter has some like 8,000 employees. I don't know how many employees are actually key on that algorithm, they're out on the moderation team and the algorithms team, but it's not more than a couple hundred. And so this has kind of always been a thing is like, this is a very, like, you know, this is a very, for lack of a word, like easy thing to crack. Cause like, the, I don't think like, you know, this isn't like the DOD where you have to pass all kinds of background checks. And, you know, if you get a DUI, you're like in serious trouble and you never get top secret security clearance again. Yeah. Like Twitter, like you could get caught like doing blow or whatever and they'll, they'll probably still keep your job. Like they won't care, you know? Uh, but it's immensely important to like global information, like especially Western, especially American, but largely global information usage. So that's kind of one of the things is I think this has really highlighted the like, K. Hey, although this is this thing sucks as a company, it's incredibly important to the information ecosystem. So I think anyway, that's that's one piece of it. But I obviously have a lot more. I think one thing that's also come to light is like if you look at all these top shareholders, everyone's like, oh, it's you know the people saying, oh, it's horrible if one billionaire controls Twitter. It's like, well, do you want do you want one public billionaire or do you want ten to twenty shadow billionaires? Because it's not like. <laughs> It's not like it's the Mississippi Teachers Union pension fund yeah. that has a controlling interest. You know? this like, yeah, exactly. This is like, you know, it's like the Saudis have 5%. It's like all these like organizations that it's not really clear. It's not like, necessarily the best money. people. My favorite, my, or not my favorite, but one of my favorite ideas that he put on Twitter was, uh, it's also part of Musk's management, management staff. He's like, since none of you assholes want to come to the office, like, why don't we just turn it into a homeless shelter and get the homeless people off the streets of San Francisco? <laughs> Yeah. So that was a, so anyway, that was, um, I mean, yeah, that he's been, I mean, he's, he's just a great Twitter follow. He's been that way for yeah. years, but the, you know, the whole thing, you know, what this whole thing reminds me of, it honestly reminds me of the Trump election mm-hmm. because I think the big thing that really, obviously the media reaction to Trump, you know, running for president was very hysterical mm-hmm. and it didn't ever stopped. Right. 
and the, the media, I don't even know if there's been a moderate media take on this. Like every single mainstream media outlet has thrown, you know, an hysterical fit. And it's funny, you have things coming from like the Washington Post and Bloomberg saying, we don't know if a billionaire should be, have a controlling interest in a media company. And it's yeah. like, you're fucking Bloomberg. You're yeah. Washington Post, you're owned by Jeff Bezos. You're named after a billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, they're owned. They're still owned by Bloomberg. Like he probably yeah. still owns 90% of Bloomberg. Like it's, a, yeah. no, I know. And I mean, you go, you go company by company and it's like, and also like the New York Times, I'm not totally sure, but it's been run by the same, uh, the Ox Solzberger clan for literally a century. Mm-hmm. And they're worth gajillions of dollars. And so it's like, <laughs> it's anyway, I mean, it also shows like, hey, look, like who who is in control of all these things, right? And this is like actually like information, whoever controls like information in many ways is, you know, uh, it's very important. It's, I mean, look. Uh, Twitter has become the, to me, Twitter has become like one of the last like free, it's the freest of the speech, freest speech of the social media speeches, right? Like Instagram has basically become a gigantic advertisement. Facebook has basically become an, a, a gigantic advertisement at this point. Um, there is yeah, no probably. like, you know, QAnon, 4chan or whatever is dead. The 4chan is a little bit of like, definitely like the weirder element of society, you know? Um, yeah, so I mean, the, all those social networks, they're all kind of, you know, there's there's corners of them, right? But there's, there's something about Twitter where really, I mean, this is what Musk said, and I think people probably agree, like, it is kind of the public square. Like, it's literally where like kind of it's, it's everyone goes and yells at each other. Twitter and Reddit to me are the one place where you, two places where you can still at least get like some unfiltered opinion, like an opinion by someone who doesn't necessarily have a clear financial or rooting interest. Now that's not to say people on Twitter don't have financial or rooting interests, but like people get, at least you can get enough opinions quickly to kind of get a sense of things, you know? So, I mean, like it's, so like one of the fascinating things about Twitter is, uh, like when this Russian war broke out, I followed a couple of Russian nationalists accounts. So you always, you get the very strong Western perspective, but like, yeah. it's not like during world war two, you, you know, we would be, the New York times would be like, and this is why these Germans are bad. Now here's the German side saying why yeah. America is actually <laughs> evil. Like they'd be like, screw that. We're not, we're not showing a damn thing. It's like, yeah, it was actually, you know, you have that. I mean, I think the Taliban has a Twitter account. Uh, oh yeah, they do. The government has a Twitter yeah, account. Uh, yeah, the Taliban. The Taliban Twitter is pretty funny, actually. I, I, I just checked it out a couple times. Oh, really? <laughs> Chinese Twitter is also really funny. It's just funny to see, like, the same, like, I love reading the comments on, like, Chinese Twitter where someone would be like, look at this horrible thing going on in China. And then, like, a flood of comments being like, no, that's not what's going on. This is all fake American news. And then, like, yeah. the arguments are very funny. So um, I th- anyway, so I you know there's I think one of the things that what's happening so broadly, so there's obviously this huge internal media pushback to Musk and there you know now do I think there's an element of hypocrisy to it? Yeah, absolutely, because a lot of these media organizations are owned by very wealthy people, right? Who have not so secret agendas. But you look at it, I think it, it is an important question. I do think it is a fair question to ask. Like, do we really? I mean, this Twitter is the most important media organ probably on earth like more important than new york times and oh, yeah. like new, yeah, new york it, times has fallen out of favor a long time ago the one thing is though there are to me i think there's like 10 percent of people on this earth or maybe not on this earth but like 10 percent of people that use twitter and are really religious about twitter and like you know they go to it they read it and then there's like a whole 90 percent of people that like don't have a twitter account so there is like right. a lot of people out there that don't even participate in twitter you know yeah, so I mean, Twitter is really where you go to like the thing that Twitter does is it radicalizes and consolidates, mm-hmm. right? It just basically there's like I think there's like been studies that show if you put you know 20 people in a room, 
and you give them an issue that's somewhat divisive. Kind of those 20 people will be everywhere on the ideological spectrum from one end mm -hmm. to the other, but you have them in there and you kind of stir the pot and poke mm -hmm. them. And by the end, it's going to be very bifurcated. Like that middle ground is just gone, right? For whatever reason, it's just like the group, the group solidarity, the tribalism just kicks in and they're like, yeah. right? And Twitter is that at a global scale with every issue all at once simultaneously, <laughs> right? It's just everyone getting radicalized and just kind of like fomented. And so it's, and so anyway, that it's, that's, it's both interesting, but it also like, yeah, it's not the people who develop their opinions on Twitter, they are very outside the mainstream, but be, they become so iron hard on it. And they kind of find their basically their tribe or their group of loyalists to like enforce right. that, that it's it yanks like the parties both ways. Right. But also remember this, like it's Twitter's not just about like divisive opinion things. Twitter's for news. Like if I go outside right now and I smell something burning, that's weird. The first place I'm going to find out that there's like a fire 10 blocks up from me is Twitter. Like before yeah. the news, before anything, like it'll be on Twitter. You know, so yeah. like we're breaking news. This started maybe four or five years ago. Twitter became the place where news broke before anything. I mean, yeah. I think it was even, it probably was even sooner than that. I mean, yeah, I remember Bill, Bill Simmons has this point about it was the Tiger Wood, the Ellen Nordgren smashing Tiger's car. With the <laughs> that was the like Twitter broke that before everyone else story. Yeah. And that's where you got to get details. So yeah, no, I agree. It is more than just like opinion formation. Uh, you know, it's also like, look, it's like, it's so many of the world's like most interesting, intelligent, creative people regularly share their thought process on Twitter. Like, you know, 20 years ago, you had to like, or not that long ago, you would have had to, go to a conference or wait for them to come on like a 60 minutes to hear them speak. Yeah. Now it's like, you know, a guy like Nassim Taleb, like I kind of know what he thinks about everything now on constantly. Right. And I, before I would have had to like wait for a book. So it is, it has a huge societal utility, but now there, and so now the issue is there's been this, you know, look, the social media, there's no, there's no silver bullet. There's no clean way to do moderation, right. Mm -hmm. Moderation or censorship, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, your moderate, my moderation is your censorship. And vice yeah, censorship, exactly. right? Um, and so I think, so I was kind of mentioning this point, but one thing I think that's really interesting. And I think I met, I feel like I mentioned this every other pod, but there's a book called Revolt of the Public by Martin Gurry. Mm -hmm. And you will, I swear to God, I bring this up every pod, but basically the theme of the book is how we had these kind of, we had these legacy information networks that quietly kind of controlled a lot of our, or had were dominant influence in institutions. And they're slowly getting subverted and are overcome by public internet enabled peer to peer networks. Right. And so there's definitely an element of that right now with what's going on with Twitter is that what people really pisses people off, like at least from the, so from the left, the issue is that, Hey, like all these moronic Republicans just make shit up and then they believe it. Mm -hmm. And then they, they get all riled up and they're just, it's based on lies and untruths. Mm -hmm. Right. While from the right, they go, Hey, look, we bring up a good point, And then all of a sudden it gets censored and removed from the internet. Yeah. Right. And so my, my big thing, bone that I've always had to pick with Twitter is like, look, and I don't think there's an easy way to do this, but that those moderation and content restriction decisions, that is not a, hey, here is the eight point step we decide, you know, here's the public way we come to a decision about what is should be screened or not. It's really like a shadowy group of people that's not clear who does what, then they just kind of are, it's very arbitrary. Like even Dorsey, the CEO, previous CEO admitted it was a lot of it's arbitrary, right? Uh, and that, but that is like, but once again, you have this like small group of like kind of this information network, but like steadily this like public network is starting to like demand, like how are these decisions being made? How are you making these decisions? And that group's like, fuck you, we're not telling you, right? But that is something that I think like that is part of the reason. So why is this reaction, part of the reaction been so strong? 
because that group, frankly, definitely leans left. Like that, I don't even know how you can argue it. It doesn't lean left. But like Musk is probably the first thing he's going to do is going to shine a spotlight on there. You know, just dump like WikiLeaks style, just dump the whole documents in there. Like take Slack, get emails, get Slack messages. I wouldn't be surprised. There's a lot of Twitter employees who are like, you know, deleting shit right now. You know, <laughs> and so anyway, that I don't know. That's like there's so many fascinating angles to this. Well, yeah, like I, I, I bet you, if someone who is more liberal and a billionaire was trying to buy Twitter, the the narrative would be a little bit. There the mainstream. Oh, it'd be hey, it's a people. private company; they can do whatever they whatever want. Whatever they want, it's it's capitalism. In the words of Nancy, yeah. if Nancy Pelosi was trying to buy Twitter. <laughs> yeah, so super, there's like a there's some like Mark Benioff is. If you had a graph of how wealthy somebody is and how to the left they are politically, Benioff is probably like one of those outliers. And I guarantee they wouldn't care. No one would care. They'd be like, oh no, he's it's a private. I mean, this is what they're saying when everyone's like, hey, these these moderation decisions Twitter's are doing is frankly unfair, blah, blah. They go, it's a private company that can do doesn't have any free speech guidelines, they can do whatever they want, which is true. This yeah. is strictly legally true. I don't think that makes it okay, but it's true. And yeah, they're right. There's no there's no legal case against Twitter to make them do. Like Twitter could just go, you know what? If we don't fucking like you, we're kicking you off the site. And that's it. And you know what? We're going to do it if we think we think you voted the wrong way or voted something dumb. Nothing you do. But now, like, now in turn, like all those people are saying, well, it's a public company. They can do whatever they want. Now that Elon Musk, like, well, I want to buy the thing, take it private. They're going, oh, no, no. This is, this is not fair. This is, not, this is a special democracy. <laughs> yeah. This might be dangerous for yeah, It's like, hey, like, do you want one public, very public billionaire running the, owning this thing? Or do you want groups of 10 to 100 shadow billionaires quietly running this thing? Like, well, my, my other favorite thing was that Mark, Mark Cuban was getting into it. And I could feel like Mark Cuban has billionaire envy towards Musk. Because like billion, Cuban was like, like- Everyone does. Cuban oh, was yeah, like every billionaire. Billionaire who like, you know, everybody kind of liked and he was, he was liberal enough, but he was also conservative. And like people were like, hey, this guy's a good guy. And now like Musk kind of stole that mantle from him. And he was like, man, if people, if Musk and Peter Thiel tried to buy Twitter, people would lose their shit. I mean, obviously they would, but. <laughs> yeah, so I think, okay. So now I think the thing is, is that my guess is that this is like, I think the best proxy for this is like, is Trump. Because mm-hmm. look, I think, I broadly think this has always been true. I mean, but if you ever have a group that controls like information networks and can kind of decide what is legit and what is not, that's always exercised predominant power in society. And yeah. like the most classic case of this is the printing press, the Catholic church and the reformation, right? Yeah. Where Catholic church had a hammer lock on literacy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they kind of were the gatekeepers of information and then the printing press led to an explosion of literacy and literature. And then they started obviating the Catholic church. And this literally led to the most, some of the most destructive wars in European history until world war one, world war two. Right. Like, I mean, the, if you hear about the 30 years war, it's really like one of the most, it was until World War I, World War II, it might have been the most horrible thing that happened to Europe. And that was basically like these religious wars that were just yeah. ending, and it destroyed Germany. It was really horrible. And so, um, and so, okay, kind of not totally sure I was going with that. I just no, have to you're, you, what you're doing is you're applying the concept of literacy. Oh, Twitter. It's all, it's about the, it's freedom of information right. and no longer having control of the information and what that can do to societies. And so the, I think, especially from like 1972 to 2016, like the institution, like the institution that was most important for approving or submitting, or like allowing a president was generally like the American mainstream press, yeah. right? 
uh, and like the class example is like, look, like you had two intrepid reporters unseated the president of the United States who had the nuclear codes with Watergate. That's like, I mean, from a historical perspective, that is fucking insane. I mean, every like, journalist jerks off to in the middle of the night, basically. But like, I mean, the dream shows, of being that person, because then it shows how powerful they are. But you know, it's interesting. Like, if you read, Wait, like, for example, let's take, a, let's take a five second pause. I gotta, I gotta get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So we're talking. What we're talking about? Lost the train of thought. You pick. Oh up. yeah, yeah. So I was just basically what I was saying is, um, you know, when there's there are these moments in history when the information technology rapidly changes, and all of a sudden there's a big power shift, and so. I was talking about how for like the last 50 years, like really broadcast media was like the main way that was determined of legitimacy. And like, you couldn't really become, I mean, yes, Reagan and Bush, they like rub, George uh, Bush 43, they rubbed the media the wrong way and they hated him. But like, there's also plenty of like media that was cool with them. Yeah. Uh, but before I mean, that, it was like, it was like yeah. CNN, Fox news, MSNBC, and the New York times to me, like those were the big news establishments until the modern era. Yeah um i mean i'm not sure exactly yeah i'm sure it's some mix of that um but you know before that it was like the government right like if you read about people in like the 50s and 60s you know it's like just so naive because like the government like you know those vietnam war reporters they were the first ones to be like wait the government's telling trying to tell dictate to me what to say but i know this is a lie because i'm here and i can actually communicate what the truth is right and so Anyway, there's there's something similar where that because that was when we went from radio to broadcast. Or I don't fully know. Or we went from three bands to whatever. I don't fully, I haven't fully wrapped my head around it. But we're definitely going through a similar thing where there's like a new way to communicate, and in turn, there's a huge power shift. And so the big thing about Trump was like, here was a dude that literally across the medium spectrum was like, do not vote for this guy. Like this guy sucks. <laughs> like we hate this guy. He's evil. You know, he's bad. And he still got to the presidency right yeah. and there's something and it was just like you can't control this dude right no one can control this dude he can't even control himself and there's something similar with elon musk like elon musk is just dude he's a rogue element like no one can control this guy no one can tell this dude what to do like impervious to outside influence and shaming and now he's you know and once again just like you had trump all of a sudden becoming president if you have musk sitting on top the most powerful media organ on earth you know look it's it's still like concerning like and i say this as a guy who's a huge musk fanboy it's a little alarming like especially in the western you know kind of the Western political thought is that, you know, all absolute power is leads to corruption and like no yeah. one person should have all that power. So it's alarming, you know, but it is, it is Kanye West. <laughs> no one man should have all oh, that, that comes power. from you know where that comes from. That comes Lord from Byron. <laughs> no, 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 no. Lord Byron. That was a uh... power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah, I don't think it was Byron. I think it was North Whitehead, but no, the, the, no one man should have all that power. That is from Spike Lee's Malcolm X, where when Malcolm X leads some kind of protest, he springs some guy from the Nation of Islam or whatever. That's what one of the cops say when they see like how much power Malcolm X has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, and I don't know. I'm sure there might be something from there, but that is like a core principle of the Western kind of political legitimacy is checks and powers, like can't have absolute power because ultimately that becomes corrupt, right? And mm-hmm. so, yeah, like the idea of like, hey, let this this must do like he'll just fix our problems it's basically like you know the, the superman thing <laughs> like hey this one dude it's it's like i don't think it's as simple as that and especially look this is going to be uh, i think it really is going to be dependent on how much pain musk really wants to tolerate because it's not like if this deal goes through everyone's like all right well we don't well, I, mean, I, I think it's at the point where they're not gonna let him do it they put that the poison pill in there is like basically once you own a certain amount of it i think it's 15 percent 
it becomes like escalatingly difficult to buy more. Yeah, I think he has to pay a double. It's only yeah. he has to pay double the price to buy yeah. more. And so anyway, it, it won't. Which is so a now, nice check and balance. Some call it a poison pill. Others would call that a, a check and balance, you know? Yeah. Like the so American I, government should have something like that. Now there's in turn like Musk can, for example, you know, that what that means is basically he just needs to enlist three other people who are willing to go 10 to 15%. Now those four have a controlling, you know, have a 51 per 50 plus percent stake. They effectively control the board. So like, and so, you know, I, but I guess what I'm saying is like, this isn't over, but like, this is also not going to have a clean ending. And it's, it's just going to be as much as long as Musk wants to deal with this until he's like, all right, I'm just, this is not worth it. All I'm going to say but, is it, it made my week so much better. At, I'm on COVID quarantine, having nothing to do all day, but getting to like go deep on this Twitter drama. My, let me, my last thought is this, like, it's, it's fascinating when you think about Musk, like he's pretty futuristic, right? He he started with PayPal when like that was like, you know, the beginning of tech. Oh, like before that, he had a company before that, Zip2. Oh yeah, I remember this. Sold for, sold for $380 million, I think in 1994 or something like that, where he found it, co-founded with his brother. Then he made and the- Yolo that money yeah. to start, I think, Xcofinity. Or, no, he did X.com, Peter Thiel and Max Levchin mm-hmm. did Cofinity. They merged into PayPal. But so then he, you know, electric cars, he made them cool, which was a huge problem, which was like a huge, like before the Tesla, the thought of an electric car was like a Prius, which was like everything that is wrong, yeah. like with my team. I don't get me started on what's wrong with the Prius. South Park does a great, it's like where you, the Prius is powered by your own feelings of self, uh, all your self-congratulatoriness by driving. Powered by your own smug. Yeah, your own smugness, right? Uh, you know, SpaceX, which I think is a, is a glorious success. Uh, cryptocurrencies, which is like this co- futuristic concept of a decentralized currency for a decentralized population, like a nation, a decentralized nation or whatever. And then Twitter, which is the decentralized form of information transfer. It's like truly the wild, wild west. Like if we could go back 18 to the 1800s America, this stuff would really fly well, I think. Uh, like, you know, when America was like a lot of open land and you lived far away from people, there wasn't a government really within reach, like you had to protect yourself type of deal. It would all work really well. So this stuff will work amazingly well on Mars, Max. On Mars, when they go to Mars and they start to colonize Mars, like electric cars, uh, solar panels, cryptocurrency, and Twitter will be the way people communicate, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so it's a... Uh, no, no. In a hundred years, I mean, historians are really just going to be like the whole Twitter database will be there and they're going to be like, this is the most ridiculous. Like <laughs> it was like humanity just lost its mind all at once, you know, uh, especially because you basically, I mean, Twitter is fundamentally in many ways a radicalization engine. So you're really having tens of millions of people just steadily radicalizing themselves in real time and just getting zanier and zanier. And like, <laughs> it's kind of like, I don't know. It's like, uh, there's a great quote, like, in the outbreak of the civil war it's like south carol like when they were taught when south carolina was discussing secession where the guy said south carolina is too small to be a nation and too large to be an insane asylum you know basically <laughs> you're all fucking nuts and that's kind of twitter you know? that's, great. Like, that's a great quote insane asylum um all right yeah. i think the only other i'd say the only other two things i have like reservations i have about musk are one like he had this very weird episode with bitcoin last year ago and dogecoin where they kind of like pumped it and there's like and it was just like and then he like oh i'm not doing bitcoin for like environmental reasons and it was kind of like okay so that was very fickle but the other thing is that like he yeah like i 
he says, I think he says about free speech. Like I, I probably agree with, I think, look, I, I think America has a 200 years of being able to adjudicate like free speech issues, right. And appearing pioneering this value. And I think it's very important. like, like the West to maintain this. Uh, and yeah, so I, I probably agree with like a lot of what he says. Uh, the one thing I have though, is like, he's also building like a gigafactory in China and has huge financial interests in China, especially that. And I look, I, maybe he has like a very coherent, reasonable explanation, but like, yeah, the Chinese do not have a commitment to free speech, you know, <laughs> like amongst well, other I, things. Well, one now, thing I've learned is like, everything is not black and white. Like the world is very complicated and there's multiple moving parts. Yes. So, Elon Musk is pro free speech but he also wants to grow his car company. And China is a big market where people would be very interested in buying electric cars. China has some law like by 2030, every car has to be electric, which is really what which, which really what expedited the whole American surge towards electric vehicles. Like all the American car manufacturers are making electric vehicles really because China made that like a hard cutoff. And so like, it's complicated, you know, you can't like, you can't just be like, only when China has free speech will we provide electric cars. Will we sell them we'll sell electric cars there? Like you kind of, you want to infiltrate, right? I totally agree. Look, I think that's, I think it's totally reasonable. And I think there is a, I, I do believe like there's a reasonable position to be like, hey, look, like I, I stand with you on all these guys. I think we see eye to eye on this. But you also do have some major economic interests amongst a, you know, the biggest practitioner that is anti, that is openly pretty hostile towards Western values. Like, <laughs> Like, you know, how do you, how do you reconcile that? Maybe he has like a, you know, if he says like, Hey, look, like it's my car company. I'm trying to grow a sick car company. They ultimately, I think the overriding concern about reducing carbon emissions from vehicles overrides our ideological differences. You know, I don't know. There, there is a mature, I'm sure there is an intelligent one, but I haven't heard it. And that's what it's kind of like, there is a pattern with all these Western business leaders where they talk this big game about like human rights and like, Oh, we are so for social justice, but then they gleefully take, you know, all this money from the Chinese and then they, then they're not open about it. They're always like hush, hush backroom deal about it. You know, they're like Tim Cook wasn't like, by the way, you should all know we're cutting a five-year $275 billion deal with the Chinese. Like he wasn't open about that. That had to be like dug up. Well, That's, that is the weird the, the uh, thing. Like, why don't you just, just come out and say it. Just come out and say it. I feel that there are, the way they would phrase it is we are hoping by bringing our products to China and manufacturing them there and, and economically liberating them that we will eventually you know move the people more towards an american system i feel like i heard lily crying in the background <laughs> yeah that was my daughter crying yeah i mean I, i'm sure they believe that i i mean i think that's bullshit like <laughs> i don't think that's ever going to happen i think china's going to be chinese no matter what america does and they're going to do what they're going to do well it's, it's about like it's about like you know it could also go the other way china's like yeah come on in you're not going to break our our communist, you know, dictatorial regime. So it's more of a Chinese, China's like a big corporation in my, in my mind. That's like China Corp. They have eight guys on their board and Z is their, is their CEO, Yeah. you know? And, yeah. and right now he's like their CEO. Who's that, who's that really good GE CEO back in the day that everyone, Jack something, or there's a very famous uh, GE CEO. Jack and Welsh. I feel like, Jack, and I feel like Z is that, is their Jack Welsh at the moment, you know? I, I, I have uh, some caveats to that, but I'll, I'll keep it you know, for another time. Um, no, I think, look, uh, okay. I, I think to put a bow on this, it's, it's obviously fascinating. This is going to be a saga. It's going to go a while. I do think, I just think for these American CEOs, when these American companies talking about these, these social justice principles, and yet 
as soon as like there here's this big test of this where like i don't think anyone like i don't think anyone's arguing with the chinese actually practice any of the principles that these people could yeah. be fighting for and yet because the chinese market is huge they're growing very strong economically they they quietly are cutting these deals it's kind of like do you my issue is like hey look either you get to keep your brand or you can take the bag of money but don't pretend like you have all this brand value and care about this while taking the bag of money like just just pick one or the other and if you're like you know what there's a shitload of money in this it's in my investor interests you, but like and i'm just gonna do it because it's good for my company okay but don't don't then don't then then like you know wag your finger at like people well, you know the, everyone else. I think like, the idea on. is in America where your brand gets more value and you you know you sell more some sneakers by being woke. You do that, and then you still just make all the shoes in China and hope people are just so happy with their Nikes that they don't care. Like in in the end, the consumer is the one that like makes the decisions, you know. Yeah. And Nike. Well, I guess you some was it you or someone told me Nike actually makes most of their shoes in Vietnam now. I don't know why I still always thought it was in China. But, um, you know, all the people that are marching at social justice movements are recording their things on iPhones, which are made by Chinese people who are, you know, working in indentured servitude conditions. So, you know, it's everyone's a hypocrite, Max. Nobody wants a yeah. fair system. Everybody wants an unfair system that benefits them. Yeah. And you know what? We're hypocrites, too, in some ways. I'm on my Mac. Shit, but you know are you what? Are you on a PC, Max? No, I'm on a MacBook. I love yeah. Apple products, yeah. you know. And, yeah, I guess we all have that. I mean, especially, too. There's a lot of things, you know, I think one thing we should definitely not to go down the rabbit hole, but we should be careful of historical judgment because we will likely be judged by future generations. And it could be, could be because of our relationships with the autocratic regimes. It could be our fossil fuel emissions. It could be the um, animal slave labor, you know, that we basically like how we treat inhumane conditions for pigs. And I mean, I'm going to be looked at as uh, I don't know who's the worst slave owner of all time, Andrew Jackson. I'm going to be looked at like as Andrew Jackson for the way I treat my Alexa, you know, like one day <laughs> the, like, robots, oh, they were, they were, the robots get sentient. <laughs> the, the robots are sentient. Yeah, yeah. And I'll be like, I didn't know they were sentient. And yeah. I was canceled. We didn't know they had feelings. <laughs> we didn't know. Yeah. It's like, have you ever seen that? There's like a college humor where they said, if Google was a person, and it's just every dude walking up and then dropping his pants and like whipping it out. <laughs> every other one. <laughs> and google like oh come on you know? <laughs> or like there is still like some kind of like bizarre like slave trade going on with especially with like attractive women you know there's a lot of horrible shit going on that we probably all indirectly benefit from i mean there's like i mean the obviously egregious example is the epstein stuff where i don't think you were i don't i didn't directly benefit but yeah there were a lot of powerful people who somehow got a piece of touch of that anyway I guess, you know what, maybe the takeaway from this is judge not lest you be judged. Yep. Jesus was right all right. along. It's amazing yeah. how that works sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> let's just, let's just. I mean, hey, this is, the, this is the day he died, right? Interesting. Oh, yeah. You know what I just, I figured out today. Uh, the Last Supper was Passover, was the first night of Passover. <laughs> it was like Passover Seder was the Last Supper. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. I don't, you know, it's funny. I know a lot, but I actually don't fully know how they'll yeah. You know, he had his last supper, right? He breaks yeah. the bread, and then in the morning, he gets killed, right? And that's oh, yeah. why Catholics, like, eat the bread, and because he said, like, oh, the bread is my me or whatever. But that was Passover dinner. <laughs> like, he was having, like, it was the first night of Passover, and because he was Jewish, so they were celebrating Passover. So it's a really funny crossover holiday, in my opinion. Yeah, crossover <laughs> holiday. I like that. <laughs> it's like a crossover. Yeah. Uh, anyway. All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. We should talk about the NBA because, I mean, 
The, I mean, I, yeah, we can talk, you want to talk about Russia, Ukraine for a minute? Like, ah, the Ukrainians have hold, held out a long time. Yeah. Uh, okay. So this is, I wrote, here are the notes I wrote down for, well, I wrote down a lot for Russia. I actually wrote down more for Russia than Musk. So, okay. I'll try to do this at a high level. And you just cut me off. Okay. I think the first thing, history repeats itself. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the history of Russian military history, it's them starting shittily, incompetently, slowing, just slowly with tons of their dudes dying in mass. And this is just how like every Russian military campaign ever has started. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you look at the winter war with Finland, where, um, you know, they like just basically threw dudes into Finland and just overwhelmed the Finns. Uh, you can go into, that's how like this started with the Napoleonic Wars where they got their asses whipped by Napoleon to start with the Great Northern War against Charles the 12th. You know, similarly, they just kind of threw dudes in there and they got smoked at the Battle of Narva. So this is kind of like how the Russians, they always start garbage, right? They always are just bad at the start. But the thing is, is that if they get like that stubborn, like we're just going to win this war, they're willing to just keep throwing dudes at this thing until they win, right? And so I think, you know, there's kind of this, I was saying like the Russian on the attack is like a floppy sturgeon, but on the defense, he's a rabid bear, you -hmm. know? And there's a reason why like the great military leaders, like Charles XII and then Napoleon and then Hitler, like they all had awesome militaries and they all just died when they went to Russia and just totally went up in smokes. And so anyway, it's, it's just interesting because this is like happening again, where it's like, what century is this? And yet we have like a Russian shitty military offensive where they're just burning dudes and like doing a pretty terrible job. Uh, that, I think that was one thing I wrote down. But I think, so now I think like we're in this interesting phase of the war where Russia is going to have a, it's kind of going to go through some kind of come to Jesus moment because mm-hmm. they're clearly the first thing just didn't work, right? Yeah, they, and, they were trying to, they thought they could shock and awe their way in there and yeah. just kind of roll through and it didn't work. No, I mean, they, they were expecting what would happen with the Crimea to happen with Ukraine writ yeah. large. So they just kind of send the troops in. It's going to be like Kabul where the existing regime folds. Yeah. And uh, that clearly didn't work, right? And so they're either going to have to go, okay, do we just sell this as we only wanted this one region of Eastern Ukraine, which I think they'll be able to take? Yeah. The Donbass and- oh, the West or the East of Ukraine. They can, they can easily have it at this point. Yeah, well, that Far East part, yeah. but it seems like- I don't know. It seems like the Ukrainians are stiffened up. So they're either be like, are we going to be cool with this? We're going to be like, this is all we wanted the whole time. Like we won, baby. Like we did it. Mission accomplished. Or are they going to be like, you know what? Like, no, we want the whole thing. Cause they want the whole thing. They're basically going to have to go commit to a societal total war. Like yeah. it's really what's going to be. And it's going to take years yeah. and they're going to have to burn through a lot of their young dudes. Yeah. And the one thing that's different than those previous things I mentioned with Russia is Russia historically, their great advantage is like, we have more dudes than you. And yeah. we don't care. We'll keep letting them, like sending them into the meat grinder mm-hmm. and we're going to just out, you know, it's going to war of attrition, but they just don't have that. Like Russian demographics are really, and Ukraine's demographics too, are both really bad. And they just don't have, this one, they don't have the nearly as many young men as vis-a-vis the other world powers as they used to. And I think the war is like, from what I can tell, is much less popular with the younger generations, the older generations. Like the yeah. war in Russia is most popular with like, I was saying it's like it's like a it's like 80 it's like Bears fans who are in their 50s where you can't talk about football with a Bears fan in their 50s from Chicago for more than 10 minutes without being like, you know, who is great? The 85 Bears, you know, and that's all they talk about. And it's like I think it's like a similar dynamic, like, you know, when we were awesome, the 80s, everyone respected Russia. We ran shit for a whole century, you know, and it's like it's like those dudes. But those are not the dudes who are going to be, you know, manning and tanks getting shot at like it's young people who are like. Hey man, like I don't know what the shit is. Like yeah. I don't want to be here. Like I just want to like smoke weed and like look at TikTok, you know. <laughs> like, like so, 
you know, I don't know. I think they're going to have to have, I, my guess is they're going to try to just sell it, sell this uh, limited war because I think they're about to have some serious economic consequences, but I don't know if they decide, you know what, we're going for the whole thing and we're don't think Europe's about to go through a total war while we think we can steamroll Ukraine. It's going to be ugly. I mean, anyway, that's going to be ugly too. That's, that's a much more worse form of ugly than the most stuff for what it's worth. Yeah. Like that is a legit tragedy. What's happening? What's surprising to me is that China was like basically backed Russia. Like, yeah, go for it. And like, I don't even see what China has to gain from this. Like they, they're yeah. in such a good position you know, coming out of the pandemic, they had their shit under control. And now they're like locking down all the different, their different cities with some zero COVID policy. That's not going to work. And they're shutting down their economy. Well, so they're just fucking our economy. So the thing with China is I think there's two, I think, look, they're just, their big goal is like, I mean, this is pretty on the open, like their strategic adversary with the West. Yeah. And I think they want Russia to be succeeded to show like, Hey, look, the Western model's decadent. It's failing. Like, look like Russia's ascendant, right? So I think there was, no, I mean, especially that they also, they're, one of their big goals is to reclaim Taiwan. And so there's a lot of documentation and communiques about how like we need to support the Russians so they'll support us with the Taiwan question. Yeah. Um, and then look, I think they actually, they are somewhat, their strengths are complementary. Like China is very resource poor in a lot of ways, especially with uh, nat gas and like fossil fuels. And they're still very dependent on fossil fuel imports. Mm-hmm. And so, but the issue is that where they how they were getting the fossil fuels from China, Russia was the like basically like the eastern side of the country right but the whole eastern a lot of the eastern stuff was actually run by westerners mm-hmm. and those westerners have left so now those are not actually operating anymore so mm-hmm. if they wanted to get stuff it has to get from the western side that used to go to Europe but yeah. that can't get out because the Black Sea is basically a war zone so no ships are sailing through there so like it's actually like ironically they're actually getting less although like no there's no buyers in the west anyway I think uh, I think they did it for ideological reasons, um, and to really because their goal is really to one, you know, pry away of the West, reduce its prestige and power, and then also to get reclaim Taiwan. And I think that's why they did it. But yeah, now that's leading to, you know, that now that's but that's also happening against this backdrop of this COVID resurgence, and now they're having lockdowns, and it's gonna yeah, Shanghai looks really bad, and it sounds it looks like it's expanded to Guangzhou. I think Guangdong, Guangdong. I don't know. Guangdong, yeah, I saw that. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know what they're doing. They could have taken Taiwan without any of this shit. Like, we're not gonna stop them if they want to take Taiwan, man. Like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna send any troops. There's not enough people in Taiwan to stop the Taiwanese army. Like, and the Chinese army. The Chinese army. Well, so here's the thing: is one interesting wrinkle from this is I don't know if you saw this, but the Russian Black Sea, the flagship of the Russian Black Sea fleet. Yeah, I saw that. The thunk. Yeah. by missile attack right yeah. and so you know there's been a lot of dunking on the russians they're like dude your 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 uh whatever your um your flagship was sunk by a country that doesn't have a navy right the ukrainians don't have a navy and they sank <laughs> this thing because someone literally shot a missile you know from the <laughs> just from like the land right yeah uh, and so you know there's a lot of dunking on that but i think the thing is is that look a lot of u.s naval power is our carrier fleet and that might that might have been what when that happened like there might historians might look back at and that was the moment the u.s carrier fleet became obsolete because if a dude from like any land can just shoot a missile or like you know you can just lob missiles at these things and take them out what's the point right and so that means that yeah the u.s's ability to intervene in taiwan is going to be limited but the other thing is that the chinese also in turn probably can't actually send troop ships over because the taiwanese will just shoot those out of the water yeah so what's probably going to happen is, I mean, I think the Chinese are just going to commit to a blockade, 
where yeah. they're just going to basically like, I think Taiwan is dependent on foreign imports. So when the Chinese, and I think at this point it's when, not if yeah. they move on Taiwan, it's going to be not going to be, we're going to send troop invasion ships over. I think it's just, we're going to starve them out. You know, it's going to be know. a, quite, it's, it's, it's yeah, a larger scheme effectively you know it'll be interesting though because i've we've never really lived in an era where china i think they'll use commit troops and do a true military aggression and we've never seen the chinese military act in the form of aggression now i don't think taiwan has much of a military to be honest with you like i doubt they have what ukraine has you know yeah i think that's the big question is well so one of the big surprise like one of the notes i wrote down is this is why you play the season, right? Is everyone, there's everything on paper, but like when, when you actually play the games, right? You yeah. actually find out who's good or not. And it was kind of, no one thought that this, you, this, um, you know, this Jewish comedian dude would be like this great president, but like he had backbone, he's shown real backbone. Right. And I mean, you have to think the Ukrainians were going to fight though. I thought the Ukrainians were going to put up a fight. Uh, I thought the Russians would be a little bit better in their execution, but yeah, no, I, and so I, I think that's look. If the Ukrainians don't put up a fight, like this is over. Like we're talking about how oh, Russia are they going to move on Moldova next? Are they going to move on Poland? Uh, instead, it's but, but it would, I, yeah. The question is, I don't know if the Taiwanese. I like if if the Taiwanese, you know, legislature whatever goes. All right, we got to <laughs> repel China or repel the Chinese. If are they going to fight? I don't know. I think so. I don't know. It doesn't have the same like. Uh, I mean, like, there's even question if Taiwan's its own country. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like Ukraine, which is like clearly was its own country. You know, like everyone established that. Like, Ooh, it was I would be, <laughs> I would be careful with that. There's a lot of people who would push back on that statement. I know, I know. And the whole premise of the Russian intervention is that the Ukraine or Ukraine is not a real country. Like, mm-hmm. that's the whole premise of their invasion. So that it's a, it's never existed. It's like independent geographic entity as its own. You know separate from or it hasn't existed separate from russia in century all right all right let's, let's, let's get let's okay. get off politics because you know yeah. we know we're not experts uh sure. let's talk about the nba playoffs max because that was the origin of this pod all those years ago when we went through and we went through every every uh series that's what I, that's what i want to do and i want to make picks independently and then tell tell each other what they are all right i am like going to be working on absolutely i'm just gonna be winging it it's gonna be totally random go out of field go out of field so tonight the hawks play the Cavs in the eight seed play in game the Cavs are at home uh who do you think is gonna win that game that game's about to start uh i i mean i guess i'm gonna go based on i i my gut was just hawks just because i feel like they're roughly equivalent and then yeah the Cavs have home field but the hawks just have a little bit more seasoning i mean they were in the conference finals last year Exactly. I agree with you. And Jared Allen is playing for the Cavs. He like wasn't playing the other against, against the Nets and he's an important player, but I just feel like the Cavs are this young team and the Hawks are actually like good. They, they didn't have a great season maybe because they didn't care, but they made it to the conference finals last year and they pushed the Bucks to six games or something. So I agree with that one. The other game that's interesting is the Pelicans and the Clippers. Like I told you right before we started, uh, I took the Pelicans this morning at plus four and I looked and it was minus one and a half by like noon. And I'm like, what the hell happened? So Paul George has COVID. So he's out, uh, which I'm surprised that we're still doing that. I thought like we're not testing anymore. We're just kind of letting it rip at the NBA. But um, I guess Paul George must've really had symptoms or something. So uh, I think the Pelicans, I think the Pelicans are going to win, right? Do you think the Clippers can beat the Pelicans without Paul George? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think they can. I don't, 
Aren't they? I mean, isn't the Clippers isn't their thing like they're just they're just all swarming three and D dudes? Yeah, they're like a lot a team of really excellent role players like Reggie Jackson, Batum, Zubach, Morris, and I don't even know Covington, Norman Powell. Yeah, Norman Powell. Yeah, so I mean, I definitely think they can. Um, I just, but like, I don't know. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm just looking. New Orleans is actually favored yeah. by a point and a half. Now by minus one and a half. It opened. They were they were beginning of the day. It was plus. They were plus four, plus five. All right, let's get to the East. So the number one series in the East, I think the most interesting series is Nets Celtics. Nets are the eight seven seed. Celtics are the two seed. I don't know if you've listened to any Bill Simmons podcast this week, but he's kind of starting to brainwash me on this one. Nets Celtics is the two seven. Yeah, Celtics are the two seed. The Celtics have been amazing since uh, the new year, basically. Yeah, I've seen that they're like they're like the best team in the league, basically the last. Yeah, but I mean, I don't, I don't buy all that shit. I think they're just like. I mean, they're playing well, but I feel like they played well when a lot of the teams didn't care as much. But uh, I don't know. What do you think about this one? Get a number. Uh, I don't know. I would, I would go with. Okay, so I mean the. I wanted to say Brooklyn, but then I was just thinking about how they got like a great game out of both Kyrie and KD and they yeah. barely took care of the Cavs at yeah. home. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's like, it's hard to pick against KD, but I don't know. I mean, this is, uh, this feels like, I mean, just on, it feels like maybe this is like Tatum's going to have like a, a light Giannis moment or Giannis mm-hmm. moment where yeah, KD is like the best player in the series, but Tatum's able to go blow for blow and kind of match him and, be the better player on the court some games mm-hmm. so yeah it's just hard to pick against kd though i know it's tough <laughs> I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna go celtics in seven and only because of i, I just something's off with the nets this year their role players just aren't good like i fucking hate bruce bowen he's so is that his name bruce brown or oh, bruce brown not bruce brown, brown. Sorry. Bruce, bruce bowen is the old spurs guy but uh the original three and d but I think I guess I I guess Simmons and Rusillo Rusillo have talked me into this. I'm gonna take the Celtics uh, in seven, just because. I, I God, I don't want to do it, but I hate both of these teams. To be honest with you, I hope nobody wins. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna actually go even. I guess I'm actually thinking I'm gonna go Celtics in six. Ooh. Now, just because I think the Nets are. I don't know. They just feel like they're more hype. I mean, this is a team that just didn't finish that well. And like I said, like I wasn't really on the, it was so weird because on the one hand, Kyrie and KD were awesome. And yet they were barely won. They kind of barely won that game. It kind of yeah. the last couple of minutes. So I don't know. I, I just, I guess like, especially Boston has, I mean, yeah, it's been like a time of season when the other one's tired, but they've been good. I mean, I, they've been good for a while. So I know, I'm going to look at the 538 model, see what it says before I lock that in. Yeah, pull it up. I'll get, let's talk about the, I'll talk about, we'll talk about some easy ones. Wow. They have the 538 model has the Celtics as the best team with the, they're giving them a one in three chance to win the finals. Stupid. Yeah. I mean, I do think Tatum has made a leap from what I've heard, but I haven't watched enough Celtics games in the, in the back half to fully uh, agree with that. All right. Bulls, Bucks. What do you think? Oh yeah. Bucks are getting, getting this easy, man. Yeah. Bulls are. I, I've been so negative on the Bulls. I feel like I've I had that text I shared with you in January where I was like, "Eh, we'll just get bounced by the Bucks and the like the Nets in the first round." As this, but yeah, I think uh, I, I I'm gonna go Bucks. I think it's Bucks in their four or five. Yeah, I think gentlemen sweep five. I feel like the Bucks are gonna take the first two. Uh, there's always a chance the Bulls steal one and it goes six, but 
I think the Bucks take the first two. The Bulls win game three just because they do a lot of veterans. And then Giannis is like, enough fucking around. Wins four, wins five. Yeah, basically the Bucks come out, and there's a good chance that the Bulls come out like determined. While the Bucks are flat, and Giannis goes, all right, this is the one you guys get. Yep. But I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna seal this up at home. I'm gonna, we're gonna take one year, and we're gonna seal this one up at home. Game five and go home. So I feel like Bucks and five. All right, some more East Coast intrigue. The Raptors versus the Sixers, and the intrigue here is apparently you cannot play in Toronto if you are unvaccinated. And Maurice Tybel. And though they haven't openly in Tyrese Maxey or something, there are players on the Sixers that are unvaccinated, but we don't know who they are yet. And we're going to find out. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Great way of outing them. I'm literally looking forward to that. So it's going to be like, no one's going to know until it's like game time. And it's yeah. like, who's wearing sweats and who's wearing suits? They are not. I don't think you can enter Canada if you're not vaccinated. Wow, that's nuts. So people are going to be like spying like who's on the plane or not? Yeah. Bill Simmons has an upset. He thinks the Raptors are going to win, but I don't know. What do you think, Max? <sighs> I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it's going to be – I'm just going off the 538 model. It looks like – I think – I mean, Embiid's the best player in the series, right? Yeah. And I know he doesn't fit well with Harden, but it's kind of hard when, like, I don't even think – who's the best player on the Raptors? Is it – Scotty Barnes? Yeah. Isn't he a, like a second year? A rookie? But apparently the rookie, Scotty Barnes, is really good. Yeah, I don't know. I think I would just, yeah, I would go Sixers. I would just go Sixers and Six. Yeah, I'm going to go Sixers in. Well, Sixers will win the first two. I think it has to be five. Like we say six a lot, but you have to remember, for you to win in six, you're going to win the closing game on the road. You know, that doesn't happen until most of the time in the later rounds, you know? Yeah. And then I saved this one for last, Max, just because I think this is interesting. So let's say the Heat play the Cavs, right? Heat are the one seed. If the Heat play the Cavs, uh, the Cavs win this game, I feel like the Heat are going to beat them in like five games probably, right? The Heat are veteran. They like went to the finals. They have Jimmy Butler. They have yeah. Bam Bio. They have like, you know, the, the Robin, Robinson, Hero, Kyle Lowry. They have like a professional team. But if the Hawks play the Heat in the first round, I'm calling it upset special. I think the Hawks can beat the Heat in the first round. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would definitely – I think the Hawks have more upside than the uh... – Hawks in six, I think. Because, like, I think the Hawks are just this team that, like, I just think they didn't care last year and I, or this whole season. And they're like, well, we make the playoffs and we'll do what we did last year in the playoffs. And I think that's their plan, basically. Um but we'll see if they make it, you know? And then I got to ask you about the West Coast team, Max. I got to ask you about this series first because it's probably the, the the most important and the one you're most torn about. I know which one. It's unfortunate. I kind of hate that this is the first-round matchup because uh, this should be a second-round matchup. Nuggets and Warriors. Yeah, so Steph will be back, right? And uh, what's-his-face is not um... – Jamal Murray apparently has been cleared to play, but he just didn't feel comfortable playing. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he might have some, like, mental stuff. The thing is, is that the Warriors have no answer for Jokic. I mean, no team really has an answer for Jokic. But Jokic is going to probably – he's going to go, like, 28-15-10 and 10 or something like that, or 28-15-6 and 6 or something. Like, I mean, I think we're going to get, like, a 50-20-10 game at some point from Jokic. It might be game three. 
but we're going to get it. I because mean, Draymond Warriors, is a great defender, but like he can't defend Jokic. I mean, you see him like Jokic just has his way because Draymond's literally like six inches shorter than him. And like Draymond kind of wins by strength and like kind of knowing where to put himself, but uh, Jokic knows where Jokic is taller and he's strong. Like he'll just, I, mean, I once he's, saw Draymond guard him. The player just, like, in the NBA that I've seen that can guard Jokic is Giannis. And yeah. that's Giannis is the best defender in the league, you know? Probably Giannis and I mean, I end Embiid, right? Or is he... yeah, sort of. But Jokic works Embiid. I've seen them play each other. Jokic can still do his like you know, his like thing where he like jogs like this. He kind of turns, uses all his shoulders. And <laughs> there's a lot of turning and stuff. Giannis though is just so long and athletic that like it presents a real problem for Jokic. But Steph will be back, right? Yeah. The Warriors. They basically rested him. They, so they don't know for sure, but I mean, I would be shocked if he didn't play. You know. Yeah, dude, this is my heart versus my wallet, you know, because I have my Warriors futures bet. My oh. uh, uh, well, I have, um, but I love. I've been on the Jokic bandwagon for five years. I mean, I, I think the Warriors are going to win this just because they have home court, and I just don't think. I mean, that Nuggets team is like the. It's like doesn't. It's just not that good outside of Jokic. So that's. I think this is going to be Warriors in five or Warriors in six, probably in five. Um, yeah. Because I think the Warriors will win the first two at home. The Nuggets will win game three. The Warriors will win game four. And then what, did, what did the Nuggets, what they beat the, when they beat the Blazers last year, did that happen in six? I don't remember. No, it was like in five. It was quick. Yeah, because the Blazers just, I mean, like I said, they just didn't have an answer for Jokic. But then the, the Nuggets are a bad matchup for the Suns because Aiden can like at least, I don't know, there's something where the Suns were just totally smoked the, the Nuggets. And they the, the Nuggets didn't have Jamal Murray, man. It's all like, if Jamal Murray was playing, this would be a completely different thing. Like the Nuggets. Jamal Murray is playing, and if Jamal and Porter are playing, this yeah. Nuggets team is. If those those three are clicking, they're going to be really, really hard. I think in the end, though, we're going to look back at this era and say they wasted Jokic's best years. Uh, it's tough. I mean, that was just because of injury, you know. Like, what about this? What about this trade? LeBron James for Jamal Murray and uh, Michael Porter Jr. and like four of your first. Round. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Nuggets say no. Why I honestly think the Nuggets say no. What? No way. It's such a good trade. I think the Nuggets say no. I'll even throw in Russell Westbrook. You get Russell Westbrook with <laughs> Ron James. And Jokic together. <laughs> oh, Westbrook. Oh, man. I, I had that great Westbrook meme. The Drake hotline bling. Oh, yeah. Westbrook trade. Um, yeah. No, I think, okay. I'm going to go I'm gonna go Warriors in six just because I think I'm going to give Jokic that respect that he's going to get take two and he's going to make those. It's going to be a hard six for the Warriors. I don't think they just play the Nuggets off the court. I think they're going to have to fight for those four wins. Yeah, and I think also, I think no, Jokic's playoff numbers are awesome. Like he is like, if you look at his playoff splits, they're incredible. I mean, my the series we needed was uh, the Jazz Nuggets. Remember Jazz Nuggets round one in the bubble? Yeah, that was amazing. Oh, that was such a great series, man. Like we should just have them play each other. <laughs> yeah, that was like, that was like the best. Yeah, that was like the best series for opening out series ever. Like it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Yeah, I'm so, seeing if I can find Jokic's playoff splits. Okay, again. Uh, where is it? All right, whatever. Okay, but yeah, I, I, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna do Warriors and six and give Jokic that respect. All right, what about so this Jazz Maverick series is kind of interesting because Luka Doncic has a strained calf. He's not gonna play round one even. Um, I feel like this series kind of sucks because I don't think I think both of these teams are in like the downward, they're in recession, you know. Like both of these teams, like they kind of peaked last year and then now <coughs> they're in they're they're both on the, the they're headed the wrong in the wrong direction. Uh, aren't the Mavs um uh I mean their defense has gotten a lot better though this season though, right? 
Yeah, I mean, they added Dinwiddie. They got rid of Porzingis, but Lucas Hurt. So, like... Oh, Lucas Hurt? Yeah, strained cap. He's not even playing game one. Ooh. So, he has to be really hurt to not play in game one, you know? Yeah, that's bad. So, that, yeah, that's what like, I'm troubled. Yeah, this just feels like middle-of-the-pack teams that... I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, mean, not, I think this one will go seven, and maybe the Mavs will win if Luca plays. If Luca doesn't play, this is the game. This is the series with the biggest spread right now. The the, the series spread bet is Jazz minus two and a half, which means like you have the Jazz would have to win four to one, or five. Wait, can you win five? No, four to one or four to zero oh to cover. So they don't even think that the Mavs are going to take two games off of them. Wow. So, I don't know. I might take the Mavs and plus two and a half in that one because it doesn't seem – if Luca plays, I feel like they're – you know, Luca's playoff Luca's a different guy. Um, all right. And lastly, I think – oh, no. Suns, I think we can agree whoever the Suns play, whether it's Clippers or the Pelicans, they're going to beat them in four games, maybe five. But the Suns aren't here to fuck around, man. They're, they're going straight to the conference finals where maybe the Warriors can take a few games off of them. Yeah, it seems like the the Suns. They seem like they're got a pretty clean straight shot to the to the. Yeah, they're minus to win the West. <laughs> like, well, because they don't have to play the other good team, the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies. So the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves are playing. I think that'll be Grizzlies in six, probably, or maybe five. But well, the, by the way, Vegas or Fanduel's giving the Warriors more of a chance of winning the West than the uh, Grizzlies. Really? Well, yeah. the Grizzlies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Right? Don't you think you think the Grizzlies? I mean, the Grizzlies I did. Guess, yeah, that makes sense. Did the Grizzlies win the play-in game last year? They did, didn't they? They they lost. No, they lost to the Warriors. No, oh, no they, they beat the Warriors. They beat the, the Warriors. Warriors. They, no, they, they lost to the Warriors, but then the Warriors lost to the the Lakers. No, the Warriors lost to the Lakers, and then the, I think they lost to the – let me see here. I, yeah, I do not remember. Grizzlies, Warriors, play-in game. On. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, the uh, when was it? There it is. Yeah, the Grizzlies beat the Warriors in overtime. Oh right. Yeah, 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 yeah. My bad, my bad. Game day when Draymond went to the rim and instead of laying it up, he passed it to someone and fucked up. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. I mean, but I think the I think the Warriors are going to get revenge this year. That's going to be a good series, though. That's going to be the series of round two. Yeah, that's probably will be the best round two series. Um, but yeah, so I'm looking forward tomorrow. Jazz Mavericks, that'll be watchable. Timberwolves Grizzlies will be a good one. Raptors Sixers will be a good one. Nuggets Warriors game one will be a good one. I mean, like we make it, we feel like it's going to be obvious who's going to win, but like you actually don't know once these games start. Like especially game one, game ones can be the most variable games, you know? Yeah. Bulls will beat the Bucks will beat the Bulls. I think the Heat will win. Then that Celtics, I think, is the game of, of the weekend at three thirty on Sunday. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm hoping I can watch some. I mean, we'll see. I got a, I've got the daughter. So you got any? Uh, you got any parent coroner stories? No, I'll keep it really brief. I mean, I think after what three, well, there's three, two and a half months being a parent. Um, two things are babies are much stronger than I realized, and then babies fart way more than i ever realized like babies yeah. fart like adults it's yeah. kind of um 
the one i guess minor parent corner thing so a couple two quick things is one i think I, when i did soon to be a parent corner i told the story about how that doctor just came in and pumped me for crypto info yeah yeah, yeah. anyway uh, that was the doctor who delivered my daughter into the oh my god <laughs> <laughs> but i i, I kind of talked some shit i said some not so nice things about him but you know what he did a great job and I got to say, I watched him work because there was my, not to get too graphic, but my wife, she had like a, a tear. Yeah. first when the mom, And watching that dude work, I was like, okay, you're a good doctor, man. You are a good doctor. Because uh, that was impressive. And I was like, okay, this is why these guys make this money. Because like when that went down, he was just unfazed and just worked like minutes. It was really impressive outside looking in. Um, I guess the other thing is I was saying, so I guess I would say that that first week or month as a new parent, uh, is absolutely miserable mm-hmm. and especially that first week the first week we I, I paid for a night nurse if we didn't have the night nurse we would have probably pulled, pulled all nighters literally every night for a week mm-hmm. straight yep. so it was literally the night nurse was there we got six hours of sleep six seven hours of sleep if the night nurse wasn't there we were up all night with the baby and so there was one day where just everything went wrong mm-hmm. uh our daughter her her what's called billy rubin which mm-hmm. is something that your liver supposed to process mm-hmm. it was too high and so the, the hospital where we delivered her mm-hmm. said, ah, she's fine. You know, it'll be okay, but we should monitor it. Mm-hmm. But our, the, our pediatrician was with a different hospital. And we told the pediatrician, they said, take her to the ER right now. Mm-hmm. And so we had to like run to the ER, like the third day we were exhausted. Mm-hmm. It was in the middle of COVID was rampant. And we we're like afraid yeah. of getting COVID and like the ER. Well, but we went to the ER where we, she was delivered. The ER is like, why are you here? We told you not to come. We're like, no, our pediatrician was different. Anyway, it was like a whole fiasco, yeah. horrible we're exhausted and then our dog like is an idiot and like freaks out when it's like when i leave to go get food and falls down the stairs cracks his face open oh, has, to get no. taken, has to get taken to the e- the doggy er so we it's <laughs> <laughs> all in the same day and it was like oh my oh God. man and so right then we there. had to we like were afraid to even go to sleep that night because it's like like luckily our friend came to the er but we're just asking is frederick okay is frederick okay Mm-hmm. thankfully he's fine he's like he was fine i think he was more scared mm-hmm. and like he healed he's already healed but anyway so it was like this crazy you know this really stressful horrible day and so i don't know if any, this is like euphoria spoilers but if anyone who's has sorry it's euphoria spoilers but there's a scene in the most recent season the end of one of the episodes where cal jacobs there's one character who's basically a repre- like a closet homosexual just, you know, snaps and goes, you know what? I hate my life. I hate being a dad. I just want to like, I just want to, this life, I don't want to do this ever again. I want to, and he says like, fuck you to his family and leaves. Right. You know? And I like made a joke after this day. I was like, well, honey, a couple more days like this, I might go full Cal Jacob. Let's just say, <laughs> it, was, it was not the right joke to make. It was not received well. Uh, you know, Dean, I'm just going to say, if when if and when that happens for you, do not make that joke. Okay. Yeah, do not make <laughs> <Fuck out. laughs> it was it was not good. It, I was not in a good, it was not good for our marriage for the next 30 to 45 minutes that I would make even joke about something like that. So anyway, I guess that's my my little parent corner. But on the whole, I will say there's being a parent definitely sucks. It's a lot of work in many ways, but the best thing in my life right now is when my daughter smiles at me. It's the best thing. It's it's amazing. So anyway. There we go. Do you want to give a quick update on your COVID status? Because you did oh, this yeah. on COVID. I'm good. I'm now I would have at BA2, that variant. It's not bad. It's just like a mild, mild runny nose. Uh, I, I was like flagrantly positive though on antigen tests and two PCRs. So I was like shocked. I'm like, I don't really feel that sick. Uh, and then back into isolation, which sucks. But my isolation technically even ends tomorrow, but I'm going to keep going until Sunday. 
and then I'll be back at work. This is not bad. I think the vaccine helped. Having COVID helped. I'm now a COVID two-timer. Uh, I joined a rare and elite group of people to have COVID twice. Um, so there we go. And both times after a trip to New Orleans, Max. So maybe we found a pattern here. Yeah. <laughs> Novid. No livid. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Max. Anything else? No, I got I got I'm on dad duty the rest of the night, so I gotta get going. All right, but man. This is fun, fun. Good job Bye. by you. Later.